Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And uh, this week, because uh, Quincy is uh, out for, I think, another week or so, uh, because of family stuff, uh, I, rejoining us on the podcast is my partner in crime, uh, paying bills, and several other ventures as well. Christina, how's it going? Hi, it's good. Um, what have you been reading or watching or consuming this week? Um, I've been watching AP Bio, which is great. Mm. It's, uh, it's with the guy who plays Dennis on It's Always Sunny. And if you've ever worked in a school, it's especially funny. Um, even if you haven't, I think it's pretty good. It's getting mixed reviews, which surprised me, but what do they know? Yeah, I think we realized that, um, this is the show that we wanted Vice Principals to be. Vice Principals was such a disappointment. Yeah, I think that, like, we watched, like, two full seasons of it before we realized Mm. that, like, eh, it's not, it's not good. A season and change, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't worth it. But AP Bios, it rolls. It's so good. Um, I have been, um, re, uh, now here's, here's the thing, uh, if, uh, that, that dumb meme with guy walking with girlfriend craning his neck to look at other girl <laughs> while angry girlfriend glares at him. Sure. That's been me with like, I am white guy in the middle. Um, games I've been wanting to play forever is the angry girlfriend yeah. and the lady walking uh, the other direction has been Friday the 13th. Yes. The video game. For, for months and months. And in the last week, the angry girlfriend has also become your actual girlfriend. My actual girlfriend. Right, right, right. Actually, which I think was a good thing. Like, dude, I, I don't want to become a Friday the 13th widow. Yeah, we had a good run almost a year. Almost a year. I was like, I'm genuinely fine with this. And then I think it was last week, I was like, this is more than enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I And even I, I realized that uh, now they're uh, the finest game review I have ever had the... Um, privilege of reading was there's this uh tumblr dedicated to funny steam reviews and the one review that has stuck with me was uh for killing floor on which the reviewer had dropped like something like 1400 hours of gameplay and he just just described it in one sentence which was this game is a soft careless wiener that you can't stop sucking and you don't know why Mm. and that has been friday the 13th where it's not even fun anymore it's like a grim compulsion yeah, I mean, that's so much of how, at least how I use technology anyway. Yeah, so for me this week, I've been um, playing through uh, Wolfenstein to the New Colossus. Because uh, I, I, I had started to play it and got about halfway through, and then didn't play it, and kind of went back and started being like, mm, what if I played that really good game that I enjoyed that was well made uh, in any way? So that's been good, especially because, like, you know, sort of big mood for killing Nazis in a video game. Yeah. Also, Wolfenstein is fantastic. It's really... Oh, it's so good. Really excellent. Shooters is the same, except for that one. Yeah. Yeah, you're not... Well, that and Borderlands, you know. Borderlands is okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I I really enjoy those games, but I wouldn't say they're about something as much. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good call. So, uh, the first movie that we're going to be talking about is uh, 1975's, yeah, 1975's The Stepford Wives, the original, not the apparently abominable uh, Nicole Kidman starring remake. It's very insulting. They, They seem to think, whoever made that movie and made decisions surrounding it in 2004, seemed to think that we were post-feminism enough that we could like have a little bit of fun with women being turned into literal objects fortunately it's just not the case we're not there so it's just (laughs) baffling to try to turn something into a campy comedy yeah like who was watching the original stepford wives and going "Mm, what if we did a goofy campy version of this wouldn't that be fun what a hoot anyway what a hoot and also we're doing this on uh, uh the night of the 2018 oscars uh, in which um, Get Out by uh, Jordan Peele, which I believe is like, it's, it's in our top 10 on Rank and Vile, is um, in, I, I think it ju- I just saw that it picked up Best Screenplay. And and Jordan Peele has admitted that like The Stepford Wives was a huge uh, influence on Get Out. Like the idea of just like, there's, there's, this ta- there's this thing and there's something wrong and then you slowly figure out what the fucking deal is. Well, and this was, I've seen this movie before, maybe about a decade ago, and I also read the book by Ira Levin, which is fantastic. I really love him as a writer. Mm -hmm. And watching it again now after seeing Get Out, it's great because you can see all these 
traces, all of these little things that Jordan Peele is going to pick up and turn into Get Out. Um, so I highly recommend it to anybody who's a fan of that movie because you get to see little little Easter eggs or little clues that are going to turn into a movie you love. Yeah, and also I, I want to stress here that um, The Stepford Wives 1975 is available in full on YouTube. <laughs> Um, which we were we were looking for it on like Prime and, and well no one's taken it down because no one's trying to make any money off of it it's not streaming anywhere um, for for rent or for free so it's just up there on YouTube flapping in the breeze yep just right in front of God and everyone which honestly was um, the, the the quality was a little grainy which also let me let me just put this out there first of all this is the most seventies movie to ever seventy it is. Like, it's just the color schemes and the cars and the outfits, and it is just a little slice of 1975. Um, and also, now, there was a thing in the 70s, I think, with um, horror that featured a, a shitty husband who said things like, but we got a great deal on this house um, at, before they get, like, murdered or whatever. Yeah, a lot of real estate. But that's, I mean, that's just horror, especially about middle class and upper middle class people in general. Yeah, it's pre it's it's mostly a, a love letter to real estate. Um, so now we should we should dive into the plot of the film. Yes. So we're are we good with spoilers? Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I feel All like right. for a nineteen seventy five pop culture yeah. touchstone. And you know, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's it. I was a little worried that it would not hold up very well, that it would all come off as campy in a bad way, but it doesn't. Um, at least I didn't find that it did. Um, it's great. If you have any interest in it, I think it's well worth your time. Um, so this family, Joanna and her husband Walter and their two daughters, who are both young, under 10 for sure, um, they move from New York City to... This small town, is it in Connecticut? Do they say what state it is? I don't know that they say what state it's in. I, for some reason, took it to be like Vermont or some shit. It feels very Connecticut. Anyway, it's this, you know, idyllic um, suburb, sort of in the middle of nowhere, massive lawns, and everything is perfect. Um, it's not noisy. They do this beautiful thing with the very few scenes that take place in New York City where the ambient noise is just out of control. <laughs> and it's very right. deliberate, and it's a great contrast to this placid town where Joanna is very uncomfortable. Yeah, and which I, I love also because as someone who has lived in both small towns and big cities, I prefer the shit out of big cities. Um, also because I, uh, I can't sleep at night unless I have noise of mm. some kind. I'm a big, big, big noise fan. Um, Explains your taste in music. Exactly. You remember that one time I was listening to Throbbing Gristle in the car? God. And you were like... Is you thought you thought the thing was broken? Well, it was in our it was in the janky old car, and I said, you know, if you if you pull the aux cable out and then put it back in, sometimes the sound quality is better. Like it won't sound so so static. And, and I'm like, no, that's that's what the that's what this is meant to sound like. Yeah, and so you know, I let you know that I had some music that wasn't broken. <laughs> right. You wanted to listen <laughs> to some of that, um, but you you know you can't change the people you love. You, you can only. It's true can only accept them for who they are and they're and throbbing gristle yeah so which is much like in the stepford wives exactly like the stepford wives um, uh, which also heavily featured throbbing gristles so they uh they moved to this town and they've got two kids whose names i don't remember it doesn't matter it it's doesn't matter not at all important now those kids they both look like extras from village of the damned like yeah, they both they're have very blonde very bowl cutted yeah very blonde very bowl cutted kind of glassy eyes you know yeah, that's not part of the plot. That's just they're child actors and they're incidental to the movie. That's just us dunking on children as usual. <laughs> Fuck those kids. Um, and so they moved to the town and, and basically, uh, and, and this is one of the reasons that I think you could do a double feature of Stepford Wives and Gone Girl, mm. which is that she and her husband moved to this town and, it's, and she points out to her husband that she's upset that he makes all of these decisions without consulting her and without really looking for her input where she's like look you asked me if i wanted to move to stepford after you had signed the, the deed right he had already made the down payment which is just i mean certainly for 2018 that's shocking mm -hmm. and the it, it's hard to know if how shocking that really was in 1975 she's certainly put out by it rightly so mm -hmm. um 
it's hard for me without an extensive knowledge of that period to know how common that was. Right. And as a character, she like Joanna has, you know, she even mentions, look, I fuck, I fuck with women's lib. Like when she was in New York, she was what she mentioned that she was part of, uh, yeah, she, I think she said something about during college, but she and her, um, she and her friend set up a, a women's consciousness raising group. So we should back up again. They moved to this town. Should we give like a panoramic view yeah, of the yeah. plot? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. All right. They moved to this town and Joanna's really uncomfortable, but she meets a, a woman who is also really uncomfortable. She got there about a month before. She rules. And she rules. Bobby is the greatest. And weird things start happening. Her husband joins a men's association um, that as you might guess from the name, doesn't allow women. And I had some flashbacks to when my uh, supposedly enlightened college boyfriend joined a frat. And he was like, oh, no, it's one of the good ones. But that just meant that they thought they deserved trophies for not date raping people. Right. Um, so, yeah, I had some... Uh, it really made me remember conversations where you just you just hate your husband's friends so much or your boyfriend's friends because they suck it's like right. you found the one good male person and he's just surrounding himself with garbage but you know as i learned the hard way you don't want to dunk on your partner's friends they don't like it well well i mean depending on the friends I, the thing is if you're if you're if your partner is friends with shitty people they probably know that and you dunking on them is just like you know what that's just don't have shitty friends like yeah but they hate it well, people hate that. Anyway, but she Joanna is also, uh, which by the way, your uh, your ex Walter, um, her Joanna's partner is also named Walter because of course his name is Walter. <laughs> We're gonna edit that out. Oh Let's sure, leave Walter's name out. Of this. All right, all right, all right. We'll we'll leave Walter out of this. Um, here, hold on, pause. So uh, her husband Walter, I mean, she is one hundred percent done with his shit at all times, like right out of the gate. Yeah, it's amazing because they move to this town and. He says, you know, there's this men's association and they said I had a pretty good uh, chance of getting in and it's kind of an honor and, uh, you know, it's archaic, but they don't allow women, but they're going to change that in the next few months. So what do you think? And she's like, I give up on you. She literally just yes. says that. It's the first thing she says in this conversation. After I give, he tells her that. I give up on you. And we just bust out laughing because it's like, wow, that really escalated quickly. Like Fuck we're me. what, 20 minutes into the movie? And she's like, I give up on you. <laughs> She's not fucking around. From Jump Street. But that's when you find out that this is part of a larger pattern of like, of course, he's already joined the Men's Association. Right. And he already made a down payment on the house before he even discussed moving with her. Um, he has been asking forgiveness instead of permission for like a minute now. Yeah, which is like a fun thing to do with people who are not your life partner. Yeah. I also pull that piece of shit move on a not irregular basis, but... You can't do that with someone you're trying to build a life with. It does. It's not sustainable. Yeah. So, like, I mean, and her husband, I'm just, I, I mean, I don't know what bearing this has on anything. He looks like a wiener. Like, he, <laughs> his hair, he's got this, he's got that haircut of just, I, you know, kind of balding on top, but has hair on the sides. He looks like a penis. Um, and this town is full of men that look like penises. Like, all of the, now, there's a very specific kind of horror in this movie that um, is the fear of middle-aged to old, older white men in groups. Because the men's association, I kept forgetting who was who because they all look basically the same. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the first interaction in the movie that feels like the, like, the, like the characters themselves have any kind of rapport, and that's not to say that like the acting is bad before that or that um, the dialogue is poorly written because, you know, hey, they're William Goldman's script. Um, but... The, the interaction between Joanna and Bobby, um, the other uh, New York City transplant lady, they get on, like, immediately, and the conversation is fucking great. Yeah, it's really refreshing, because it's the first conversation in the film where, you know, Joanna and her husband, I think you get a pretty good sense that they, they have gotten along together previously, but their marriage is strained right now, so the, any, any interactions they have are, like, under the weight of that. And the other interactions she has are with the other wives of Stepford, who are not quite on her wavelength, and the men of Stepford, who are creepy as hell. Um, yeah, and, and, so, and, and the men in this are, like, sort of, they're predatory, like, sort of yeah. obviously so. Yeah, and she, the, the conversation she has with Bobby is, like, you get to take a breath for the first time, and it's 
you know, what, 25-ish minutes? I'm making this up, I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, it feels really great. And Paula Prentice plays Bobby, and she's she's oh. wonderful. She's everything you would want from that character. Also, she kind of looks like Lana Del Rey, which makes <laughs> what happens to her later on in the film sort no. of more, more ghoulish. Um, but so... It's all of these gross old men, and, and now the, the, the titular, you know, Stepford Wives, they, you know, when, when you when you look at how the actors are playing it, the actors playing Bobby and Joanna are completely like, they, they talk like people. Right. And not like they're um, trying to imitate um, Catherine Hepburn on a very, very quiet TV. Yeah. Where the Stepford Wives, you know, like they speak, they you know they speak in very hushed tones, and they don't want to. And you pointed out, like, well, they certainly don't want to be accused of being called shrill. No, they couldn't possibly. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, this is a really grown-up horror movie. Like this is a this is the horror in this is a very adult kind of horror. I think. Like if I had tried watching Stepford Wives when I was like seventeen or whatever, I would have been bored out of my mind. Because it'd be like, look, no one's head has gotten chopped off. Right. Uh, I haven't seen any blood yet. Um, and the horror in this is just very much like... And now Ira Levin, of, co- of course, who did Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. this is his shit. Like, this is exactly his gem, is, you know, woman who is surrounded by people that are either lying to her or plotting, and she's being told that, you know, like, hey, you're becoming hysterical. Right, because it's that plausible deniability of, am I just uncomfortable around these people? Do I just not like them? Or is something going on? It's, you know, it's it, it's like that people in a Friday the 13th movie don't know they're in a Friday the 13th movie. They think they're just working at a camp for, to make some money for right, the summer. Right, right. Um, but if they knew they were in that movie, they would make different choices. So <laughs> this woman who thinks she's living in reality, but she's actually in a social thriller naturally she would think that she's just paranoid and of course all of the you know gaslighting might be thrown around a little too loosely every once in a while but it's very applicable here um Mm -hmm. should we let's see should we get a little bit more into into the plot or themes um let's go with the plot like let's let's give a full I i think what do you think yeah that sounds good okay yeah, and so as the plot progresses, like more and more um, of the of the wives in Stepford are kind of dropping like flies, and then there's the sudden change where like before they were people, and then they just become sort of like walking um, sex bots who occasionally do ad spots for Charmin. Yeah, it's very weird. So they, she meets Bobby, who's been there for one month longer than she has. Then she and Bobby meet another woman who talks like a person. And she's been there for one month more than Bobby. So the three of them are the newest people in town. And they are the only women who talk like humans. They try to start a consciousness raising group, which very 1970s. <laughs> Hi, 1975. Um, if you meet anyone who in the 2010s is calling it women's lib, like that's incredibly <laughs> suspect. Just yeah. be aware that's us. that person may not be a friend. Yeah. Um, at best, they have archaic uh, vocabulary or they're a russian psyop or they're not a russian psyop they're probably just a dick right yeah um, well yeah exactly so just be aware mm-hmm. that's a psa from me to you everybody out there in podcast land um so they start a consciousness raising group to offset the men's association and she has to bribe one of the husbands in stepford to get some of the assimilated wives to come um her husband joins the men's association and this is part of where it's very grown-up horror like after his first meeting at the men's association she wakes up in the middle of the night she's wearing a nightgown which that sounds fake who who, who doesn't constantly wear nightgowns to bed she wakes up in the middle of the night she's alone in bed she walks downstairs it's all very gothic which is going to intensify later and her husband is sitting in the living room with a drink and he's got tears in his eyes and she says, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he says, nothing. Everything's fine. And it's clearly not fine. And I think that's when you said this is a horror movie for grownups because it's, you know, that's a, a terror that most of us have felt in some mundane kind of way. Like someone you care about is obviously upset, but they're not telling you why. Yeah. So normally it doesn't end quite as badly as it's likely to here, but 
it's that sense of like I'm either going to find out now or I'm going to find out later in a really bad way. Yeah. And, and like you've mentioned that, I mean, with horror, one of the things that you find hard to deal with is like tense, domestic, Some there's something wrong with mom sort of horror movies. Like, Yeah. This didn't bother me in that way because it's, you know, the children are out of it. No. Yeah. But like, I, this is, this is like that, but if you're the other parent. Right. Like, if, if you're married to the, 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 the spouse with whom something is wrong and they're not talking about it. Right, right. And so, after that, he has men from the Men's Association come over, and one of them used to work for Disney in the... Um, do they say it was in the animatronics department? Or is that sort of implied? I piped up with it, but then realized, like, oh, no, actually, that is basically what yeah. this guy did in Disneyland. Yeah, you said it like a joke, but no, it's real. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And this other guy is, like, sketching her really, in a really detailed, realistic way. In a really gross, it's intimate way. It's super gross. It's, like, it's gross to be sitting in somebody else's living room with a bunch of other people and, like, sketching the woman of the house like what the fuck yeah it's like deeply inappropriate aside deeply from... inappropriate but i mean for them for these guys that's nothing um what are boundaries we live in stepford so there's a great moment where she realizes who that man sketching her is and he's a, a famous illustrator who drew a lot of women who were put into magazines and she said oh you were a blight on my adolescence like she was comparing herself to those perfect women in the magazines and now he's drawn her, and so she, you know, she's like excited to keep it. And um, but then her wiener husband Walter pipes up with, you know, I thought I was a blight on your adolescence. Which is weird because then it's later suggested that they didn't meet until after college. I don't. Yeah, get like, it. like what the fuck are you? Like you're, you're you're saying this joke for the the benefit of your gross um, right. friends. Right. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it doesn't have to make sense because it's not for her or for us. <laughs> gross. Um, yeah. mm. So. And then one of the other, like, this is the kind of thing where in real life, if you didn't know you were in a social thriller, you'd say, oh, these are just coincidences. I'm making too much out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Later, another man from the Men's Association says he has a passion for accents and he wants her to record herself saying all of these common words. Super weird. Yeah. And it made me think of, you know, the idea that when someone tries to take a photo of you, they're stealing your soul. Like, Which is kind of what the guy's trying to... Well, yeah, and it activates this like primitive fear of like, maybe don't put too much of yourself in a recording. You're on and a podcast, give it to somebody. unfortunately. I am on a podcast, that's true. But, uh, I mean, no one cares, It's fine. No one, no one listens to this podcast, it's fine. I don't know if that's true, no. but nobody cares enough to like steal my identity, I'm pretty sure, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. So, that's super weird. And so that's when she blackmails him. She says, you know, I sure would love to, but, you know we wives of Stepford were all very busy like your wife I tried to get her to come to this consciousness raising meeting and she was too busy with ironing so maybe if you could get your wife and a couple of her friends to come to our meeting maybe then I would find time to do this and he's like you're blackmailing me and she's like oh uh, yeah I don't care <laughs> um so the the women do come to this meeting and it's really funny because the the woman they meet they've met who's been there for three months is coming out with like yeah, I don't think my husband ever really loved me. He married me because I looked right and because that made him look good to the other TV executives. And, you know, it's this really poignant, disturbing thing that she said. And the other wives are like, you know, I just, uh, I didn't bake yesterday. And they just feel terrible about it. And they're like recommending cleaning products to each other in an extremely rehearsed, like, Truman Show type of way. Right, right, right. That just made me think of every yogurt advertisement from the last 25 years. You know, you get together with your gal friends and yeah. talk about what yogurt you've been eating lately. I mean, I do. Yeah. So they they do this. They have this meeting, and things start to seem weirder and weirder. Yeah, I, I think my favorite weird thing that a Stepford wife says in this is, um, so um, Bobby and Joanna go over to one of the wives' house to try to like get them in on this uh, consciousness raising group and the Stepford wife she's like eating brownies off of a plate and she just and she says I know I shouldn't say this but I just love my brownies and I've been thinking about that line since she uttered it <laughs> what does it mean listen if this were a more functional community she uh -huh. would be telling them something about her preference for butt stuff sure but she's not. She's it's not. It's just a thing where, like, I should be baking. I shouldn't eat any of this myself because 
I had somebody say something to me about my, a girlish figure when I was a teenager, and that was almost 20 years ago, and I still think about it. Yeesh. It was gross as hell. Like, he was joking, but... It, it doesn't matter if I resented joking. the hell out of it. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, and so, as the pl- uh, plot progresses, um, eventually, um, Bobby gets Stepfordized, and... It's horrible. It's so awful. Man, it is upsetting. Like, I wasn't expecting this movie to age terribly well. I had tempered my expectations for our viewing, and right. it really just clicked along, especially with Bobby. Um, you instantly adore her, which you kind of need to do for the film to work, and when she comes back from a romantic night away with her husband and she's different, it's so upsetting. Yeah. And she's, so as as she unravels all of this, she's sort of, um, she's been trying to get her photography career in New York sort of going and going back to New York and, and, um, she took a photo of some of the kids and whatever. Um, and then what's the thing that tips her off completely to what's happening? Like she, Oh, um, Bobby. So she's talking with Bobby and trying to like, what, what, what happened to you? What the fuck is wrong? Say something to me. And she just keeps, you know, saying the same basically pre-recorded stuff over and over again. And then Joanna um, gashes her finger with a knife. She's like, look, I bleed. Do you bleed? And, you know, she's like, for heaven's sake, look what you've done to your finger. And then she stabs Bobby in the gut. I think you're skipping ahead. I think that's like, she meets Bobby and Bobby's different. And then she she goes back to her husband, and she's really upset, and she's saying, please listen to me, I know something is wrong. She doesn't seem to have put together that this is what her husband was upset about when he came back from the meeting that first night. Right. Um, you know, upset, yeah. but like not upset enough not to do it. And a uh, piece of shit. Like, oh, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you feel bad, but you did me. it anyway. That's yeah, nice. That's the part that kills me. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's she's upset. She tries to convince him that they need to leave town. They need to do it now. And he suggests that she go see a psychiatrist. He suggests that she see somebody in the men's association. And she's like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, so she goes. So she's already got one up on Rosemary. Right. She's like, no, no, thank you. I'll, I'll go outside the network. Right. I'll find someone else. Exactly. Which like. Now that I think about it, is it Ira Levin's fault that I never want to see male doctors of any kind? That's legit, though. It is legit. It's I stand by that choice. <laughs> um, so, tell your friends. Uh, she goes a long way out of town to see a female psychiatrist, and she says this heartbreaking thing. The, the psychiatrist finally gets her to talk about what she's really there to talk about, and she's tells her her suspicions and then she says if i'm wrong i'm insane and if i'm right it's worse than if i'm wrong like jesus when you're at the point where you hope that you're just losing your mind it's bad that's the writing in this is so fucking good yeah and she says I, the the passage of time in this movie felt a little vague to me oh yeah it's yeah because during that appointment you know when she met bobby bobby had been there for a month and during this appointment, she says, Bobby had been there for four months, and now she's different, and that's how long I've been there. I just know that my time is coming. Oh, yeah. And the psychiatrist, God bless her, doesn't, you know, doesn't fuck around, doesn't scully her. She she does the right thing, and she says, just get out, grab your children, and go, and, and we'll talk when you get where you're going. Um, don't tell your husband, just get out of there. Yeah. And so I, I was very relieved that she didn't get any of that, like, oh, don't worry, I'm sure it's nothing, you know, just just get out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, and then, so and then Joanna said, I won't be here when you get back. She has, like, a weekend trip that, that, they're, that the psychiatrist has to go on. And she says, I won't be here. There'll be someone with my name, and she'll cook and clean like crazy, but she won't take pictures, and she won't be me, which was another thing that just, like, stabbed oh, me in the heart. fuck. Um... So she comes back, and the house is all dark. Yeah. It's, uh, and he's, like, lurking in the dark like an asshole. Um, and he's, and she's like, where are the kids? I'm taking them and I'm leaving. And he's like, they're, they're safe. They're with a friend. Um, just calm down and... He's such a loathsome little shit oh, I in wanna, this scene. Just, I mean, throughout. You just want to wring his neck. But especially here, where it's... <sighs> yeah. 
Yeah. I've got some stuff to work through <laughs> about my <laughs> my boyfriend who joined a frat. And oh, was yeah. like, no, this is all perfectly compatible. <laughs> At one point I told him, like, I have a reputation as a person with self-respect. Right. And you're fucking me over this. <laughs> I, t- I told him that. Because <coughs> I have never at any point been uh, been chill. But Yeah, this is very bad for my brand. Yeah, so he's just a little shit. And they, they get into this fight. And it... Like, this whole part felt... It felt like the scene in Get Out when... She's looking for her keys. He's like, come on, where are the she keys? she finally finds them. Like, they're even on a staircase, you know? And it feels very much like that. And the house is dark. Yeah. And they get into this fight, and he, like, he throws a glass. And that's the moment when I realized, like, this isn't just suburbia. This isn't, like, Burbank suburbia, which is what I normally think of suburbia, because I'm L.A. trash. Sure. This is, like, you would have to run for a good three to four minutes to get to the next person's house. Like, yeah. this is kind of in the middle of nowhere, at least by my standards. So that's when I realized, like, oh, she's alone in a dark house with this man at night, this man she thought she could trust, and now they're having a physical fight. Like, this is scary, and it just made me think, nothing good in movies happens to marginalized people and in the country. Like, just Out don't. in the country? Maybe don't go to the country. But then I thought about Rosemary's Baby, and I was like... Nothing good's gonna happen in New York City either. So <laughs> nothing good. Fucked. Nothing good happens. Yeah, nothing good happens. So. Just don't. Just don't even try. It's Tell just, your friends that too. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, all right, that, there, there we go. That's a Christina original. Uh huh. Um, and so yeah, they get into this altercation, and she locks herself in the uh, the bedroom uh, upstairs. And you think that he's gonna pull a Jack Torrance or something, Mm-mm. or like try to like muscle his way through it. But no, he has to get on the phone to his he's... fucking idiot good old boyfriends. Yeah, like, not that physical violence is better, but no. he's too much of a worm even yeah. to, like, try to get through the door. It's, ugh. That's too decisive uh, for him. Yeah, so he gets on the phone with his friend who used to work at Disneyland, and she... <laughs> his Disneyland friend. His Disneyland friend. And uh, only shows up for the, the good times, you know? <laughs> you know? And so she creeps downstairs, he's on the phone, she sneaks out of the house, and... She goes to meet with Bobby, and this felt a little stupid to me. Like, she already kind of knows that Bobby isn't there anymore. Right. But she tries to meet with Bobby, and that's when she she really confronts Bobby, or, you know, the person wearing Bobby's skin, so to speak. She cuts her own finger and says, look, when I get cut, I bleed. Do you bleed? And she stabs her in the stomach. And the, honestly, the acting during this part is so fucking good, because... You know, Bobby just immediately like, oh, you know, like, why would you do a thing like that? Why would you do a thing like that? Why would... And she just starts repeating phrases and, like, sort of going through the motions of housewife stuff. She's, like, opening and closing cupboards, walking, grabbing a glass, putting it down, and... She, like, walks two feet, drops a glass, grabs one again, walks two feet, drops a glass in the same place. And the movie, I'm... You know, again, I had tempered my expectations, and I was really struck here by how well-drawn and convincing and warm the relationship between these two characters was because this was just gut-wrenching. Like, this person, you know, they obviously care about each other, and there were a couple points in the movie where I was like, run away together, just keep driving. Yeah. Like, hell with your children. Thelma and Louise, that Um, shit, just get in the car and go. Yeah, and so uh, you were reading in the trivia, right, that the actors, Catherine Ross and Paula Prentice... Became really good friends. Yeah, and that Catherine Ross couldn't do it. She could not stab her friend in the stomach. So the director shaved the back of his hand, and he did it for the close shot of the knife going in. Yeah, which, Um, by the way, that's being a goddamn director is what that is. Because that's like, look, she's compromised. She doesn't... She's really close with this person now, and she doesn't want to stab her friend even fictionally so he's like all right i will yeah contrast that with hitchcock terrorizing blonde women for no good reason and um billy wilder yelling at shirley mcclain also to no great effect i just would really like people to at some point internalize that uh nobody's gonna do a better job if you scream at them that's exactly right and also my thing i mean obviously like kubrick i feel some kind of way about kubrick because I, Mm. i i i do really like um some of kubrick's movies like I think what I have a knee-jerk aversion to is the sort of, like, film bro, Kubrick is a god and beyond reproach and all of his movies are great sort of thing. But the thing that makes me dislike him is knowing that he, you know, verbally abused the shit out of Shelley Duvall and made her do the same take 137 times during The Shining, which, here's the thing, if you gotta do that to your actor, (laughs) 
<laughs> you're a bad fucking director yeah. is what you are. Like, if, if, if your job is to get a performance out of them, right. and you can't get them to the place where you can do it without making them do 137 fucking takes... Right, and also, I mean, the implication is that, that that was all at once, right? Yeah. Like, one after another? Yep. What the fuck? Anybody fucking knows, like, at least take five, or leave it, Try, come back again tomorrow, because you're just gonna key somebody up more and more, and it's gonna get worse and worse. Anybody knows that. Yeah, because you can't see the forest for the trees, and you're... you're anyway, so, uh, fuck, uh, Kubrick, uh, don't tell Josh that I said that. Um, we, so... <laughs> Anyway, so the director is a match. Um, and so she stabs her and, and she starts doing the robot thing. And this is when, you know, she really realizes what the fuck is going on here. Right. And she, she runs out of Bobby's house. Um, she didn't find her children with Bobby. She was the one who had watched Bobby's children when Bobby went away for the romantic evening from which she came back wrong. Um, but her children weren't with Bobby, so she... She goes and looks for them at the men's association. I always knew children were a weakness, and this just confirms it. <laughs> you're fucking compromised, um, man. Yeah, you're compromised. And, you know, bless her, she goes to the men's association, which is this remarkable, like, gorgeous, gothic mansion yeah. that's been retrofitted for, I don't know, this, like, stag club. It's a little <laughs> it's a little odd. We're building a rumpus room. It's like, we have how many homeless people in this country, and we've got these fucking... Massive mansions for men to smoke cigars in. Disgusting. I guarantee you that bathroom has both a, a cushioned toilet seat and a copy of Uncle John's bathroom reader for the kind of guys these are. Like, yeah. The sort yeah. of, like, homosocial, like, you know, it's the boys club sort of guys. Yeah. Yeah. And so she shows up to this mansion and she, this is where she encounters um, the Disneyland guy who... Whom they call Diz. And this is really the the climactic set piece. It's gothic as fuck. The cinematography's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. This beautiful old house is dark, and she finds this horrible man. I mean, they had a great interaction. Delightful to the extent that I was kind of scared for her, because I know what kind of movie she's in. Right. Like, they they meet one another, and the first thing he says, she's, she's in the kitchen serving snacks for this group, and the first thing he says was, I love to watch women doing little domestic chores. And, and I think like, both, both of us immediately just went, oh! Like, also not great. If they don't say women's lib, but they skip straight to that, just walk away. <laughs> that's, like, that's like not even starting with weed. That's just like pulling out black tar heroin yeah. from the jump. Yeah, that's not even a gateway. You're well into the amusement park at that point. Yeah. Um, and in response to that, she says, well, you came to the right town. And then she says she finds it difficult to believe that he worked at Disneyland because she he doesn't seem like the kind of person who wants to see people happy. With like, whoa, lady, you met this man like two minutes ago and you're fucking dropping bombs all over the place. Yeah, she's, man, she and just, like, she, yeah, she owns him immediately. She owns him immediately, which was scary for me because I know what movie she's in. Right. And I was like, oh, no, maybe don't antagonize him, which is bullshit. Yeah. Because he deserves to be antagonized and none of this is her fault. Because fuck him. Yeah. Um, and he launches into this monologue where he's, you know, sort of like, yeah, you know, I worked at Disneyland and, and, you know, animatronics and like, you know, here's the thing, you know, maybe you, you know, as a woman, you know, wouldn't you like some, you know, some stud to come home to who only tells you how pretty you are and blah, blah, blah. No matter how saggy and gross your flesh is, he says something like that. Right. And that line didn't work for you. No, I, I think it didn't. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know how I feel about it because I, I almost kind of feel like. Um, as, as an audience, we know that that's a false equivalence, that it's like, no, actually, you know, women, uh, it's like, you, you, as, so, uh, well, it, it kind of worked for you, didn't it? It did, yeah, because there are a couple scenes, I mean, Walter, as discussed, is a piece of shit in this sure. film. And, but there, he's not alone. There are a couple scenes in this movie where he's not the only one who feels, <laughs> for God's sake, conflicted. About turning his wife into a, uh, what a house guy. cleaning sex bot. I know, what a mensch. Um, there's another scene with, you know, Charmaine, the woman who had got there a month before Bobby. After she's changed, there's a scene with him and Diz, who's the man who worked at Disneyland. And, you know, Diz has to start driving instead of this man, Ed, because Ed is very upset mm -hmm. after having had his wife killed and replaced with a robot. It's, Poor boy. It's a hard time for him. It is. Um, <laughs> it's a hard time for him, emotionally. Best of luck to him. My heart goes out. You know, all the best. Um, so, from that I got that Diz is really this, he's this ringmaster, and he's pulling these obviously deeply flawed and weak men 
through something that without his influence and the inf- influence of the club, they would not do. Right. Wouldn't even think about on their own. You know, they just get a divorce. It's the 70s. <laughs> yeah, um, listen, everybody, they were getting like recreationally divorced in the sure, 70s. It, yeah. was a, it was a brand new time period. Yeah, just make a weekend of it. Yeah. Um, so Diz is really the ringmaster. And that line worked for me because it suggested that, excuse me, it suggested that this is a, this is his worldview. Like, it rings false to us as the audience because most likely we don't see people in those terms as, you know, people serve different functions in your life, but most likely you don't see them just as those functions that they serve. Right. You might say, you know, here's somebody I appreciate because they live in my home and they tell me I'm pretty and they like bring me soup when I'm sick, but you know if you have object permanence, you know that that's not all they are or all they ever do. <laughs> right. But for him, that's how it is. Yeah, and, and actually, that's a really good point. I think, yeah, it does totally work. I think in that moment, I was just like, oh, fuck this guy. It's a little on the nose, but I think that's how far gone he is. Yeah. And um, and he also says, because we can, which... That ring, that rang true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I liked that that part. You were like, hmm, check uh, that Why out. are we doing... Why are you doing this? Eh, we're, 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 you know, we're some assholes. We can do this. Why not? Right, because they have various professional skills. And that made me think of, you know, if women aren't... Well, let me be clear. Like, middle class and upward white women weren't allowed careers, then how would they ever get the wherewithal to even think about turning their husbands into robots like right if you're never allowed to become an engineer that's not going to be a part of your skill set um exactly um and, and so after this monologue you know like uh, he she she's had a fire poker this whole time in mm-hmm. her hand and then she's just so dumbfounded by this monologue that he easily takes it from her and then it's like something flips on and she realizes oh shit and yeah. starts and makes like a getaway which that was kind of like eh, okay whatever yeah it it's like starting from the time she goes back to bobby's house it felt a little bit like, um, you know, the Sydney Prescott thing. Like, yeah. she's doing the wrong thing, and it's a little bit insulting that she's acting so stupidly. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, her children are there. Yeah, know? exactly. It's I, I'm led to believe that's a pretty strong instinct, is to protect <laughs> your children. And I think that's this is the point of the movie also where I remembered that she has two daughters. Yes. Like, both of her children are girls. Um, Bobby had two boys, and she has two girls, and... I also would be pretty horrified to leave my daughters in the care of these men. Right, because they are fucking monsters. And not even, like, you know, the only, like, scary monster is Disney Guy. Yeah. The rest of them are just fucking limp dick little weasels. Fucking... And that's scary in a different way. That's a, it's right? terrifying, yeah, yeah. That they're just weak men who are selfish and will and are totally okay with this. And so uh, she gets chased through this gorgeous... We really cannot stress how pretty this mansion is. And maybe that's just because we desperately want to own a house. Well, sure. But also the cinematography is fantastic. It's really gothic and it's so well made. Yeah, it's outstanding. Uh, and she ends up in a uh, basically a soundstage ma- made to look like her bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and in which is sitting uh, her intended Stepford wife version of her. Um, and it's, you know, just sitting there brushing its hair. And it's a very slow pan over to this idealized, perfectly domestic double of her, um, brushing brushing its hair and you know, tastefully bigger breasts and like, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you were to send a human being off to be killed and then replaced with a better version of themselves, mm-hmm. the kinds of little tweaks you might make sure. if that was something that you thought was okay. Well, especially if you were the kind of guy who probably still reads like Parade magazine or something like these dudes. <laughs> Um, I don't even know what you mean by yeah, that. Yeah, fuck parade. I don't know, just like just like the sort of corny dude who's just like, hey, um, you mm. know, as they constantly said in 1975. <laughs> the kind of guy who, if asked what would make your wife more attractive, would instantly be like slightly bigger boobs. Yeah, yeah. corny. It's just a little boring. Corny dads. Corny, right? porny dads. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Is so... that the episode? <laughs> Corny, porny dad. I don't know. I think we might have a better one on the way. Oh, oh, with the upcoming movie. Uh, and so she, uh, uh, Stepford clone, approaches her with a garrote made mm-hmm. from what? What was it? What was the garrote? It was. Oh, I don't know. Uh, some cloth or something. It was probably meaningful. I mean, knowing this movie. <laughs> yeah, they probably I, thought about I it. I missed it. Yeah. It's like the opposite of a Friday the Thirteenth film. Um, and so, and then it blacks out, and then cuts to grocery store the next day. All the Stepford wives are all in like. The same outfit, but different colors, just sort of, you know, as... And it's this great fucking camera pan across all of the aisles of just mm-hmm. these women. Hello, Celeste. Hello, Anne. Like, just all of them. 
and half a dozen easily. Yeah, and then like the bit that breaks my fucking heart is when Robot Bobby passes Robot mm-hmm. Joanna. You know, well, hello, Joanna. You know, just sort of. Yeah, uh, and it's striking that they say, "How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine." And then they move on because that's all they have to say to each other because they're robots and they don't have any interior life or any relationships with one another because robot joanna doesn't take pictures and it's not joanna and it's not her much like um every female character in movies that don't pass the bechdel test right (laughs) and so and and the image that we're left on is joanna's now and here's my question actually because i think the movie leaves this vague um robot joanna has these like perfectly black eyes like a like a doll's eyes like a demon in supernatural like a demon in supernatural uh, and then it has actual eyes at the end of it. So I didn't know if that was like, you know, they lure them there so that, you know, like the, the final piece of them, because maybe there's some uncanny Ooh, valley yeah. shit where, you know, if you send this robot wife home to this dude, he's going to, he's going to, you know, the eyes are important and maybe he's going to see those glassy doll eyes and go, eh, you're not quite the thing I want. Um, and maybe they needed Joanna's eyes to, you know, get over that uncanny valley thing and make it actually look like her. Well, they also needed to kill her so she didn't get away. Oh, they needed to murder her for sure. But I can... Within the narrative and also thematically, I can believe that that would be the hardest thing for them to approximate. You know, window to the soul and all that. Sure. Um, and that last shot, they, they zoom in on her eyes, and that last shot is so haunting. Um, yeah, Jesus. I couldn't... Like, you'd think that the eyes would look blank, but they more looked like they were screaming to me. Yeah, they looked which like... Which is odd, because if they're just... If it's just a robot, it wouldn't be screaming. Well, which then, made, which then made me think of Get Out, with, right. like, the eyes are screaming and the rest of their face right. is perfectly placid. Right. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, and that's uh, Suffered Wives uh, 1975. And th- honestly, this movie owns. Like, it is... I can't... And, and I think one of the reasons I'd never seen it before was because, like, I've, I've heard it referenced a million times right. it's like a cultural touchstone you feel like you've already seen it yeah yeah and i kind of had but i kind of hadn't mm-hmm. like there's some shit in this that i don't know why everybody's not writing this movie's jock and it's not available on every platform yeah like it is just fucking outstanding if you like the genre if you enjoyed get out um there's even a, a nod you know 1970s man um I'm sure this still goes on in a lot of neighborhoods. There's a, a busybody, an old woman, not old, uh, 60s maybe, yeah. um, who has somehow escaped being stepfordized because she's pretty, like, this is pretty broadly comedic. She's the welcome wagon, and she's, you know, definitely not a robot. Loud, um, loud colorful outfit. Yeah, a little bit of a busybody. And um, and she, she corners Bobby and Joanna at one point and is like, what do you think about the African-American family? I don't know if that's the term she used. Um, what do you think about them moving into the neighborhood? And they're like, uh, I, what? And she's like, I think it's great. Well, I think it's it's natural. And it's like, yeah. okay, why is this happening? And it's and such then, an uncomfortable like conversation where it's like, ah. Yeah, and, it's, and then in the very last scene in the grocery store, um, you see the black couple arguing in one of the aisles, having basically the same conversation that joanna and walter had which is like this place is creepy as hell like can we please get out of here and he's right. like oh no it's you know it's a great neighborhood great for the kids i got a great deal on this house Plain it'll air. be a yeah, great exactly. new start for our family exactly so you see like oh this poor woman is about to go through everything we just saw yep racial equality Ha-cha-cha-cha. um and apparent she's a i read the book maybe a decade ago and she's a bigger figure in the book um, which I also highly recommend to anyone. Yeah, also because Ira Levin <clears throat> is just such a fine fucking writer. He's great. I don't know how he knew. He's so good. Yeah. Um, all right, so the uh, part of the podcast where we figure out where this goes on the list, and I'm going to oh, start. Uh, all right, Christina, yeah. is The Stepford Wives better or worse than Rosemary's Baby, another Ira Levin story? Oh, probably not as good as Rosemary's Baby. I want to agree. I haven't seen that in a long time, but... That's a that's a movie where I never even wonder if it aged well. Yeah. And this one I wondered. Oh yeah. No I, I think there's a stylistic thing with Rosemary's Baby that make it's it, it elevates everything in the movie. Say what you will about Roman Polanski. Makes a good movie. It <laughs> Um now all right, I'm going to bring it down a little bit. If we're uh, so for examinations of uh, toxic masculinity and horror, mm. your favorite American Psycho. I can't even talk about this with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, 
I think American Psycho is easily better than this. Yeah. I can't believe American Psycho is <laughs> at 23. I'm sorry. Like, I'm laughing, but it's because I'm so sad. Yeah, that's, um, I, I understand. I'm, I'm right. so sorry. Prevenge, I don't know. Oh, oh, all right. Uh, other uh, uh, misinterest uh, films. Sure. The, uh, uh, the first Evil Dead movie. Ooh. Oh. Because I would say, hmm. I think it's better than the first Evil Dead. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, they're, they're both doing such drastically different things. Right. But I think this one has a richness to it in, in terms of themes, in terms of the way it's executed on screen, the way the script comes together. I think Stepford Wives is better than the first Evil Dead. Yeah, I think you might be right, because the Evil Dead feels a little bit like a proof of concept for Evil Dead 2 as much as I prefer it because it's messier and more personal and like kind of meaner and funnier. Yeah. Um, this movie has not been improved upon by a remake or a continuation. Um, and it's still such a, a vital part of our pop culture lexicon and yeah. it holds up. I felt like I'd gotten shot in the gut yeah. in at like three o'clock in the afternoon on yeah. a Sunday with yeah. that ending. It's so good. Um, all right, let's go with, uh, is it better or worse than Scream? I would say, mm. Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say definitely not as good as Scream, but there are also parts of that movie that don't work perfectly. Oh, for sure. Like, Scream, when I actually watch it, is a little bit baggier and more awkward than when I just think about it. Yeah, I think when Which we... Is nothing against it, you know? Of course. I think, it, I think it's a time and place thing that it, it makes uh, sense. Yeah, um, um, but I would say I don't think I, I think it's better than Scream, but I do not think it is better than Evil Dead. Or no, I think it. Uh, well, Evil Dead Two. Um, what do you think? I don't think I'm the best person to ask because I don't have the same kind of affection for that movie that a lot of people do yeah i mean i also yeah prefer it's just that. less personally resonant for me agree well also because it felt like sam raimi didn't have as much skin in the game in yeah. evil dead 2 like he'd, he'd given too much of himself in the first one and was like oh, i need to not have that in there um i feel pretty good putting this above evil dead 2 below yeah. below american psycho my babies together at last. Uh, this was always going to happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. So uh, coming in at our new number 24 is 1975's uh, The Stepford Wives. Is Quincy going to pitch a bit? No, no. I think he'll, okay. he'll, he's, he's down. Okay. He's down. He's down for, for some cool. Stepford Wives. So the last movie we're going to be talking about is a, um, a movie that was a, uh, uh, we got a screener from Raven Banner. I want to thank you guys for providing uh, this movie. Uh, it is called Trench Eleven. And it's a World War One era body horror war movie. Those are certainly all words. Definitely. Um, I fucking adored this movie. Yeah. It was... And now... And, and so uh, we should give a brief overview of the plot. Um, it's uh, World War One toward the end of the war. And there's this uh, underground um, city, basically. And then, you know, not city, but it's like a big underground compound. It's unusually elaborate for a trench in World War One. It's it's uh, an underground compound. It's an underpound. Um, That's awful. The worst thing I've ever said. <laughs> um, and so you've got Germans, you've got Canadians in the mix, you've got Englishmen running around who are easily distinguished by their uh, smart mustaches. And um, what you find out is that um, it being toward the end of the war, there's this fucking Joker who is a German uh, known, his moniker is The Prophet, um, uh, P-R-O-P-H, not O-F. And he's out here, this guy, by the way, he's like... We, we'll get into that. We'll get Let's into that. Let's do the synopsis. Okay, so, so um, he, uh, toward the end of the war, uh, in a last-ditch effort to try to win the war, they, uh, he developed a parasite that was meant to fuck up the livestock of the uh, Allied forces, and became transmit transmittable to humans. It's like a, a parasite worm that basically does what the disease in mayhem is supposedly uh, meant to do, which um, overrides your brain, makes you uh, forget the difference between right and wrong. You mostly want to kill everyone. Um, and it basically turns them into zombies. And the first team that goes in is meant to, like, find out what the fuck happened here. And the second team that's Germans uh, is, is meant to go in there and, like, torch the place. Right. But unfortunately, the prophet um, 
Reiner, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, he has other plans, which is, haha, what if we just kill everyone because I'm fucking crazy. Right. But, well, he's very proud of his creation, this right. horrifying parasite. He should be. This guy... He wants to share it with the world. He is Kristoff waltzing all he over is. the fucking place. And that's not a knock. Like, he's doing it beautifully. It doesn't feel... No. It doesn't feel like he's, you know, doing a bit, but it's... A... This movie does that thing that some movies and stories do where they just decide that every German who's ever lived is a Nazi. A Nazi. Before Nazism was a thing. Um, and Wonder Woman did this too. Very yeah. different films, but they do the same kind of thing where... I mean, they're basically Nazis, right? And listen, I'm not a historian. Maybe there's some basis for this. It would surprise me a little bit if these movies were more historically accurate than me. Because um, I'm not trying to make something entertaining. Right. But... Well, except for right now. Well, I mean, well, that's, but of course. It, no, do, this podcast is not meant to be entertaining. Like, this man in, what, 1918, 1919, 1918 uh, I think 1918, yeah. Yeah. And close to the end of the war, he's already talking about Wagner. Uh, oh, he, he puts on Wagner while oh, he's torturing the he guy. He does it. He's a huge social Darwinist. He's like, well, what if we just let it all burn? Ha ha. Um, <laughs> I'm fucking crazy. And he has a cruel use of science. Like, yeah, he's basically Joseph Mengele before Joseph Mengele. Well, he's very ahead of his time in a way that feels a little ahistorical to me, at least according to my high school understanding of world history <laughs> sure. um, or European history, is that those sentiments might have always been sort of simmering, but they didn't really take root. I'm mixing my metaphors here until <laughs> the aftermath of World War One. Right. So it's it's a little odd, but you know it is entertaining in a in a horrible way. Oh yeah, that guy's just chewing the fucking scenery, and yeah, it's great. The acting in this is delightful. This is a good movie. I feel like I'm playing on easy mode a little bit because some of the screeners you've watched have not been your favorites. We've we've had some we've had some that we haven't cared for, but this yeah. one now. And speaking of chewing the scenery, comma the actors, um, the the effects in this are fucking incredible. Like that now, honestly, big ups to the Foley guy, Ooh. who man, I th- we both spent a lot of this movie yelling, yeah, because of the effects and because of the sound. Like somebody gets their knee crunched in, and it's just this like no, wet, it's like the ankle, like it's like this wet it's, gravel noise that it's just so bad. Crunch and there's a stabbing sound that mm-hmm. is just it's a plus. It's it's very good work. It, they they do good work, and also the effects in this, the parasites. These oh, these fucking worms. It looks like you know, like when when you when you see what they look like and they come sprouting. It's so bad. They, it's like they're sprouting spaghetti out of their faces, <laughs> out of their nose holes, out of their eyes. These wriggling, gross, fucked up worms. Um, it's so bad. It's so good. It's yeah. It's it, real bad. The gore in this is exceptional. Yeah. The lighting is exceptional. Oh my god. Now, and this is also my thing, is like, maybe I'm just thinking about this because I just watched Assault on Precinct 13 for like the millionth time earlier this week. Uh, your movie has no excuse for having bad lighting. Like, a movie that was shot in an under- underground compound, I'm not going to say the other thing because it makes okay. me want to die. Yeah. Um, like, it's shot fucking incredibly. Like, it's it's dark, kind of. But there's enough light, and, and the way that it's lit, you can see what's happening in the dark underground compound. And it's, honestly, the way that this is shot. I Now, it does take a while for the horror to get rolling, because for the first, I would say, half an hour or so, it's very, you know, you, you get an opening scene where you know that it's underground and there's something fucked up happening. But for the first half hour, you're like... You know, I felt like Millhouse watching the Poochie episode of Itchy and Scratchy going, like, but when did they get to the horror stuff? Right. And they do eventually, but, like, I, it's kind of a slow burn where you're getting a lot of background on these characters and on the geopolitical conflict that is World War One. which, by the way, didn't you have a classmate once who... I did. Um, yeah, what did, what, did, what did they say? I did. So I had this classmate in 10th grade world history. We were studying... And she turned to me and said, who was the bad guy in World War One?" <laughs> Which I didn't know how to answer. Because that, you know, it's it's simplistic, obviously. But that's kind of a valid question for World War Two. Like, there's an answer to that. It's yeah. basically the Germans. World War One. The bad guy was war. The bad guy was war, yeah. 
um, war and guns and mustard gas. And yeah. Just, it was all bad. Yeah. Um, very bad. Fun fact, she turned out to be our val- valedictorian, and she went to Yale. So, nothing's real. I thought they only let in smart people to Ivy League institutions. There are lots of different kinds of smart, it turns out. So, if you... Maybe she's really good at smelling. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, and, and honestly, like, the end of this movie, they, uh, the, the, the Nazi guy gets his fucking comeuppance, gets, you know, a vial full of this, uh, oh, um, my thing God. right in the eyeball. A vial full of the eye of the virus, it doesn't just get on him, like, the vial cracks and is protruding from his eye hole. It's just, it's so bad and so beautifully done and... Uh-huh. You know, this isn't a massive Hollywood movie. Like, I probably the budget wasn't huge, but it's so good. I feel like when we when we tweet out the link to this episode, I'm going to want to attach a gif of like it's like two ladies and a dude watching something from across the way, and one of the ladies like clamps her hand over her mouth and looks very upset, and the guy cracks a slow grin yeah. at what he's watching, and that was basically us watching this of just me going ha ha sick, and you going oh no. Yeah, I yelled a lot. I covered my eyes completely, like none of uh-huh. this peeking through the fingers, like no. the the palms of my hands completely over my eyes because I just couldn't. Yeah. Not to say that like small budget films can't be good this movie looks good oh it looks like a million bucks feels like a hot like a well-funded like beautifully made movie i'm really impressed me too um not only with how good it is but also like the beautiful craftsmanship and nothing feels like it's lacking no and you get these great moments of like there's you know this german guy and the um canadian guy who's i guess kind of the protagonist yeah um, and they're, you know, ha- sharing a drink and basically both of them going like, haha, World War One, right? Right. They're not all Nazis. <laughs> you know what? That one guy is Nazi enough for all of the Nazis that would happen decades yeah, later. Yeah. This guy is great. And he's, you know, yeah, he's doing the social Darwin thing about like, you know, like, you know, hey, what if, what if everyone died? Um, so where on the list do we put this? I'm going to start with, um, if we're going with, uh, sort of war- now, now, uh, if we're going with bizarre uh, sort of like contagion body horror stuff, mm-hmm. you haven't seen Pool, right? No. Okay. Um, let's scroll up a little bit. All right. Uh, I'm just going to throw one out there. Is this better or worse than Takashi Miike's Audition? Ooh. It's not as good as Audition. I don't think so either. Which is no knock on it. No, it's great. Like, we I mean, enjoyed the shit out of it. Yeah. Um, is that... Now, I'm trying to think of other <laughs> movies on this list that you might have seen. Um, oh, Seating of a Ghost. Let's go with Seating of a Ghost. Oh, it's better than Seating of Definitely a Ghost. Definitely better than Seating of a Ghost. It's not as batshit, but it's a better film. Oh, nothing is as batshit as <laughs> the third act of Seating of a Ghost. It's true. Um, have you seen... Um, so you've seen Army of Darkness, of course. Yeah. Better or worse than Army of Darkness? Um, it's been a while since I saw Army of Darkness. In my head, it's kind of a collection of cool guy moments and one-liners. Is that fair or no? You're completely right. Okay. I, in that case, I would say it's a better film. I would agree. And I also think it's better than Children of the Corn from 1984, which, you know, love you, Linda Hamilton, but that movie is butt cheek. Um, <laughs> then why is it above Army of Darkness? I, I don't think I was on that episode. Oh, okay. I think I think, uh, I think that might have been Quincy and Ian, who were both... A lot, of, a lot of cooks in here. Really high on Children of the Corn. Um, and now, I don't think this is better than the dumplings portion of Three Extremes. Which was, uh, it was a J-horror uh, uh, anthology movie okay. from the early 2000s. Like, th- this was, like, Three Extremes is, like, the um, the sort of intro to J-horror for, like, extreme Japanese horror for a lot of people. Like, not just, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a ghostly little girl who hangs out and does, like, this is the, that really fucked up extreme... The, the hard shit. Yeah, yeah, the, the hard shit. Um, I, so I don't think it's better than Dumplings from that. I think it's better than the other two segments, but Dumplings alone. Um, however, I also think that this is better than Phantom of the Paradise. Okay. So. What is that? It's, it's fine. It's a... Okay. It's, that's, that's Ryan for, I'm not going to tell you because you would hate it. So. <laughs> that, that is correct. So, uh, coming in at our new number 48, as a screener, that is fucking, that, yeah. that's really impressive. How many other screeners have, have uh, cracked the top 50? Let me tell you, not a whole lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. This is a good one, folks. Number 48 is uh, Trench 11 from 2017. Um, Christina, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, my pleasure. And watching 
Trench Eleven, which was, at several points, very upsetting. I yelled a lot, but I enjoyed it the whole time. Oh, we were yelling. I think we harmonized on some of those moments in Trench Eleven. Um, Where can our listeners, if they care to, find you online? Nowhere. All right. I'm a ghost. You are... I'm I'm not even here right now. I've been with a ghost this entire time. Yeah. That's That's all I've ever wanted. I know. So I want to thank you for being a ghost and for being on the podcast. Um, you can find uh, Rankin Vile online on Twitter at Rankin Vile Cast, uh, on Instagram and Tumblr, both at Rankin Vile. Um, if you have any uh, screeners, if you're in the industry and you've got a movie that you desperately want someone to talk about and put out there, and um, I promise we don't, ha- you know, we're 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 not mean. We don't we don't we don't like being mean to screeners. Um, send send that over to our Gmail, which is uh, rankandvilecast at gmail.com. If you have a listener request that you have been frothing at the mouth wanting us to do, you've, you've stayed up nights cursing our fucking hearts because we haven't done, like, um, Possession from 1981, which I am Ooh, yeah. so excited to talk about at some point. Yeah. So please, please request Possession <laughs> uh, with Sam Neill and, yeah, um, at uh, rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Uh, And barring that, I believe that's all we have for this week. Uh, Have a good week, folks.